Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is worship leadership roles. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up those knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zensalo. It's my honor to serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so this time we're going to talk who does what on Sunday mornings. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So how many people? Is there a minimum? Is it just a pastor? Is it all you really, truly need? You don't even necessarily have to have that if you're not having communion. Really? Or if you have bishop's permission for someone else to preside over the Eucharist, which is the fancy schmancy word for communion. Okay. So you could just sit there with a bunch of people? That doesn't seem right. Where two or three are gathered. Oh, geez. That's an incredibly loose definition, isn't it? I know. I'm loosey-goosey. All right. So... We do have a pastor. Yes. And we do have other people that help out. Yes. Let's start with us as an example. Whom do you usually see up at the front on a typical Sunday morning? Well, Central is really blessed because we have a robust volunteering group and we have a robust program of including all of our members in the worship planning and worship leadership. Mm-hmm. So other congregations may have more or less folks involved, but we have quite a few. You're going to see the pastor, mm-hmm. and the pastor is going to be obvious because he or she will be wearing a stole. Okay. And that's a great way to tell who your pastor person is. The stole is the thing that goes around your neck. Yes, like the like strip big of scarf. fabric. Mm-hmm. Yep, big, big, colorful scarf going to match the other colorful things up in the sanctuary area. And so you need that pastor person. And then here at Central, we have an assisting minister. Okay. And that person serves kind of like an MC. Okay. That would be the easiest correlation to make. Person who tells people when to stand up and sit down and what the next hymn is going to be. And guide you through the singing of the hymns. Exactly. So that's the role our assisting minister takes. They also write the prayers of the people and do some of the singing. Okay. They don't have to have gone through any specific training for that, though, have we they? We do. Okay. Our crew does because they do so much that we like to train our assisting ministers so they know what's going on. Sure. Our ministers actually do quite a bit of prep work in the week in advance to make sure that they know what they're doing and what's coming up. And A so, little more than just practicing your hymns to make sure you're singing them right, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a role that it's a pretty substantial one here. Okay. And then we have lectors, which are people who read at the lectern. Okay. Which is that area that stand where the Bible is read from, and that's what they do. Our lectors read the biblical scriptures. Okay. We usually have them read two lessons, one from the Old Testament and one from the epistles or letters. If you're strapped for people, however, either the assisting minister or the pastor, I'm guessing, could read the lessons if you needed. The pastor can do all of this. Okay. At the end of the day, the pastor is kind of the safety net Okay. and can lead all of it. But the more you can involve more people... Mm-hmm. the more fun it is. Okay. So we've got the lector. Sometimes the assisting minister doesn't like to sing. If the assisting minister doesn't like to sing, then you'll have a cantor, okay. which is the person who will do the singing part. So maybe the psalm will be sung by someone other than the assisting minister. Now my husband has gotten to play this role because he likes to sing, but there's at least one assisting minister who's like, no, thank you. Exactly. So they'll tag team that. Exactly. And so then you get a cantor who comes up and leads just the singing part of that. Let's see. What else is there? 
Some congregations have something called an acolyte. Oh, there's a funky term. And A-C-O-L-Y-T-E. Now, this one, actually, my son has done before, and this is the person who goes up and lights the candles. Exactly. Blows them out at the end. That's right. And so they have a special tool that they get to use, and there's fire involved. I know. Sometimes there's... It seems both a brilliant idea for kids and a horrible (laughs) one at the same time. Sometimes there are robes involved, and robes, and fire, and youth. It's awesome. No, that that can go wrong really quickly. (laughs) So those folks, you're going to have a musician. You're going to have a church musician. Yes. Who's going to play either piano and or organ. There might be additional musicians, but you're going to have someone who's accompanying the congregation in their singing. Now, other traditions might have acapella music, but we do have instruments and we accompany along with the piano or the organ. Mm-hmm. And in certain times of the year, you get the choir too. Absolutely. Yep. And we have our singing choir and we have a bell choir. Okay, so you mentioned robes with the acolyte. There's also a lot of very special clothing that comes along with this whole church thing. And we mentioned the stole, which goes over the robe. What else has fancy terms that we might be interested in knowing about? Well, all of that has fancy schmancy terms. So the robes that we wear are called albs, A-L-B. This one I love because it comes up in crosswords all the time. (laughs) Great word. Alb is just the word for robe. And the benefit, you know, a lot of people ask me why wear the robes. Well, frankly, as a woman, if I want to wear a dress... I don't have anywhere to attach my microphone pack. Yeah, that's a problem. And even if I were to wear pants, most women's pants don't have deep pockets. No. To put the microphone pack there. So what the robe really does for me is it allows me to have the tools for my trade without having to worry about my own wardrobe ever. Sure. And so I can have a microphone of any weight or size and I can still hide the wire so you're not distracted by the wire and I'm not accidentally tripping my arm on it Uh or any of that kind of thing, right? Because it wires through the robe. And the other benefit of the alb is that it neutralizes whatever you're wearing. Sure. So... If you're wearing a sundress one day, or if you're wearing your collar one day, or if you're wearing a suit another day, as a woman, I really appreciate that robe. Sure. Well, it's like a uniform, right? Totally. Makes it nice and easy. Mm -hmm. So there's the alb, and then the stole for clergy, and that's the scarf thingy. So the assisting ministers don't get a stole. If they're ordained. Ordained? They can. Okay. But you have to be an ordained clergy person. That's how you get that stole. It's part of the ordination. Okay. And then you'll have what's called a cincture, which is the rope belt. Fancy word for belt. Okay. Fancy word for belt. And it's a rope belt. You might have a sash style belt. There are that style as well, but most of us wear the rope style belt. Okay. And... Then one piece that we don't often see, but some congregations use, is something called a chasuble. Okay. Now, a chasuble is like if you take a big circle and you cut the center out. Okay. Think like a Christmas tree thing. A tree skirt? A tree skirt. And then put it on the pastor's head. 
Okay. Like through, like your head goes through the hole. Okay. And then it's this big cape thing that hangs down on the front and on the back. Are these all holdovers from old? Yeah. uh, Okay. Yeah. Chasubles match the colors of the day. Oftentimes they'll match the paraments. Paraments are the things that are all over the... Fancy banners hanging at the back of the... Exactly. The banners in the back, the banners on the front of the altar, that kind of a thing. And so the fabric will match. The benefit of the chasuble, if you're in a cathedral environment Mm -hmm. and you're in the far back... And there's multiple clergy up front. Oh, so you can of, tell who it is. Boom. You've got multiple people in albs. You have multiple people with stoles. But the one who's presiding at the table will have the chasuble on. Okay. And typically the chasuble goes on during the offertory time. Okay. So you don't wear it the whole time? Nope. You don't wear it the whole time. Oh, I didn't know that. Nope. You go back into the back in the sacristy area. Okay. Or wherever. And what you would do is you would go back and you would have a lavabo. You would wash your hands. Okay. Maybe you would have a little bowl for that. But you wash your hands and clean your hands up. Put on the chasuble as a sign that you were then preparing to go preside at the table. Oh, fascinating. So you know who's doing the hocus pocus by who has the big chasuble on. Fantastic. All right, so we're talking old crazy terms for other clothing that whomever's presiding gets. <laughs> but the Lutheran church isn't typically as high church, and by that I mean they don't do all the ritual stuff as right. much. Right. So you don't typically find Lutheran pastors with like miters and that kind of stuff on, do you? Right. No, the miter is the special hat mm-hmm. worn by bishops. Okay. So that's what a miter is. So again, this is the way to tell like who's who from a distance. Sure. Person with the big extra fancy robe on, that's the person doing the Eucharist, the person with the really tall hat, and what's called a crozier, C-R-O-Z-I-E-R, is the hook or the staff that a bishop will carry. And so the crozier and the miter are symbols of the bishop's office. Hmm. And then you have something called the pectoral cross. Okay. And that's a really big cross. Okay. That is worn over the top of the robe. And that, again, is another symbol of a bishop. Okay. Now, as an ordained minister, I can wear a pectoral cross. Okay. I absolutely can. I have a few that I've been gifted over the years, and I'll wear them off and on depending upon how I'm feeling that day. There's no reason to, and there's no reason not to wear one. Okay. Except if you have a lapel mic that's actually like clipped to your robe, I find pectoral crosses. Yeah. I find pectoral crosses really hard with that. But if you have a good mic that's up on your head and not Mm -hmm. attached to your robe, you can wear a pectoral cross. And I think we've covered this before that if the bishop's in the house, no one else wears the pectoral cross. Okay. Because the bishop has it on. In our area, it's very unlikely for a bishop to have on the miter hat or to even be carrying the crozier. Sure. But the pectoral cross is potentially present. Oh, interesting. That's still a holdover, huh? Yeah, and it's a nice delineator in some ways. Uh, Kind of like wearing the purple collar shirt. Mm -hmm. Bishops are the only one who wear purple collar shirts. And so... It's a nice 
way to delineate and, sure. and look at the An symbols. An obvious sign of the, mm-hmm. uh, of the office and the mm-hmm. role. And that's what a lot of these different pieces are when it comes to the clothing. Mm-hmm. It's nice delineators of who's in charge and who's doing what. Sure. And that's really what the role is. And so you'll have your usher in the back, and maybe your usher has on a tag that says usher. Mm-hmm. And in some traditions, they'll have on gloves. Oh, interesting. Right, to welcome you and to kind of escort you in and usher you into the space. And the ushers are the ones who take the offering, Mm -hmm. for example. You have greeters, and maybe they have something special about what they wear so that you can know that there's someone you can ask a question of. Mm -hmm. You have your assisting minister in, in the robe, and then you have your acolyte in the robe with the lighting stick, and then you have your pastor with the stole on, and then you have a pastor with the chasuble on, and you know they're going to be leading something. Mm-hmm. And on up the row so that if you read the symbols of the volunteers and the people leading the service, you know who does what when you come in. Fascinating. All right, so where do deacons fall in all of this? That's a great question, and that's something that the Lutheran Church and the ELCA Church is really trying to figure out how to be better about articulating this. Okay. In our tradition, we have something called rostered leaders, and these are people who have a certain level of education and a certain level of screening. They've gone through seminary. They've gone through some seminary Okay. and get an advanced degree, so they have their bachelor's degree finished, and they've got a level of a master's degree. They've also been through something called candidacy, okay, where they are interviewed and screened through multi-year process in order to be rostered to either be ordained or consecrated. Okay. And deacons... Wait, wait, wait. Ordained I get. Mm-hmm. What's consecrated? We say that when you are ordained, you are set aside to be in charge of word and sacrament, Okay, which means you are serving a church. You will be preaching and you will be presiding over communion and baptism. Okay. As a deacon, our rostered leaders are set aside instead of word and sacrament for word and service. Okay. So these individuals are awesome individuals who aren't necessarily going to be serving in a congregation and leading a specific group of people into doing things within a specific setting. But deacons are going to be the ones who do like get you out of your church walls and help you live your faith out in the world. Maybe they're chaplains and hospitals bridging the healing area and the spiritual area. Maybe they're community organizers who are going into church congregations and getting groups of people to go out into the world to organize for a specific mission. Okay. That's what a deacon is. So it's a different role. Your word in sacrament, if you think of your word in sacrament person as the shepherd taking care of the flock, your deacon, your word in service person, is the person who is going to help you interact with the larger community as a whole. Okay. Now, that's interesting because for me, a deacon, I always associate it as a communion assistant, but that's not necessarily it. Right. Not in our language in the ELCA. Okay. A communion assistant can be anyone. And they come forward during the time of communion and they assist in serving out the meal during the actual service. I mean, the training on that is just to know how to hold the chalices or how to serve the bread. Don't spill. (laughs) If you spill, forgive yourself and it's okay. And what do you do if someone eats it instead of dips it? And sure, what words do you say? And that kind of a thing. 
Are there minimum ages for any of this or can anybody do it? Typically, we say anyone can do it. Okay. I would say it would be really good for people who are dealing with flame to be able to be old enough to handle (laughs) the responsibility of flame. And some congregations get a little anxious when people underage are serving alcohol. Oh, that makes sense. What they see as serving alcohol, which is holding the wine. And I think that, you know, young folk, anyone who is maybe 12 or 13 and older, I think serving communion can be a real honor and be really, really exciting. And so I I have one who would take it as an honor and one who would be more rather not. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the difference, right? You really want to work with the person themselves. For some, as they get older, if they develop a tremor or a shake, that Mm. is what would preclude them from serving. So really, and it it doesn't preclude them. It just, I know that folks with that situation oftentimes don't want to do that. They don't feel comfortable. So it's as much just knowing your community and being able to figure out what is an appropriate thing for your people. That makes sense. Okay. Last question then. Given that acolytes typically are children or at least younger people, you've got to have a favorite acolyte story. I have so many. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) But one of them, I'll say, actually is from my wedding. So we had instead of... Instead of an acolyte, we had an acaheavy. Okay. Because he, I think he was probably 16 by that time. And a tall guy, like tall, big guy. Sure. And so he's like, I'm not an acolyte. I'm an acaheavy. And when we did the rehearsal, the wedding rehearsal, he and the other two boys who were in the room for the rehearsal were being the acolytes and acaheavies and and were just like twirling up and down the aisle as they were practicing. And it was so joyful and it was so delightful. Nice. I just love it. Very nice. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the worship leadership roles. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening. I hope that we see you soon, perhaps on a Sunday morning where you can see all these folks in action. And until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.